welcome to mini episode 84 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Penelope Peel, Sarah Christian, Kaylin, Rebecca Cummings, Natalie Sher, Bobby, Katie Bison, Cora Lynn, Aubrey Griffin, Jess Heaps, Sarah Kennedy, Stacey Kanaga, Alyssa Shaw, Molly Healy, Tara Gillen, Ola Jacinka, Ashley Fuson, Amber, Stacey Ross, and Anna Gomez. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. It is so appreciated and I'm so grateful for you every single day. And I have four listener stories for you today. And the last story is from August the 11th, 2020. And story number one comes from Jennifer. It was a Wednesday night. And I usually close the office with another co-worker. However, this night she had the day off, so I was on my own. To give you a better understanding of how my job works, I see clients in my office, usually young children, and the parents wait in our waiting room down the hall. I had my final student from 7 to 8 p.m. Our receptionist popped her head in my office during my lesson and told me she was locking up and heading home for the night at 7.30 p.m., since both the client and his mom were staying at the office until we were finished. This means that the client can walk out the doors, but they would not be able to get back in unless they had a key or I myself let them back through. Our building has one entrance, and we are not connected to any other businesses. Once I finished up with my client, I walked him and his mom to the doors and watched them drive away. At that point, my car was the only one left in the parking lot. From there, I went back to my office and I had about 30 minutes left of work. I cleaned up and walked down the hallway to the bathroom. Like every other disgusting human, I was on my phone in the bathroom for about three to four minutes max. And when I was finished, I washed up and started to walk out the bathroom door. Still looking at my phone, I stopped dead in my tracks and noticed that the lights in the building were all shut off. I immediately backtracked into the bathroom and turned on the flashlight on my phone. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't alarmed, as I listened to a lot of murder and paranormal podcasts, which immediately put my brain on edge. The bathroom lights were on, and I peered out down the hall and saw my office lights were on as well. So with all of my courage, I James Bond my way down the hallway, hopping from each office to check and see if there was anyone inside them. There were about six offices before I got down the hallway to my own office. After what felt like an hour, I finally made it into my room. I dove in and started scrambling for my purse because I'd recently gotten a conceal and carry for a serious projectile hand taser. Like I said before... I've now conditioned myself to prepare for the worst case scenarios due to my podcast addiction and I'm not sorry about it. This specific taser is not cheap. It's not a low grade weapon. I specifically bought one that shoots the projectile, has a flashlight, a red laser attached for aiming and resembles a handgun for that extra scare factor. This shit is serious. I don't know how I did it but I canvassed the nearby area of my office shouting Is anyone there? I have a gun! hoping to scare whoever it was away. I wasn't getting any response, so I slowly made my way to the front door. I double-checked that it was locked, and then I noticed that the light switches were physically turned off. 
that means that someone had to physically turn them off. It wasn't a power outage or a power surge. I flicked the lights on and all of the building lights came on as well at that moment. I ran back to my office coming to the conclusion about what I had just seen. I frantically called my mom and I told her that I needed to have somebody on the phone because I thought someone was in the office. She could tell I was upset because my voice was shaking but I managed not to cry. Yet. I grabbed my purse and sprinted for the doorway. After making it out of the building I slowly scanned the area to make sure that no one was outside or under my car waiting for me. As soon as I got in, I broke down on the phone and started crying to my mom. I honestly couldn't get out of there fast enough. I got home and I was still trying to figure out what happened. I was crying and also explaining all of this to my boss. And get this, I also had to open up the next morning by myself. So I made it back the next morning still shaken but more confident during the daytime. After running through all of the possible explanations, I was hoping that the cleaning crew had come in a day early but when I entered the office I found that the trash hadn't been emptied nor had the place been vacuumed because the crew shuts the office doors so they know which rooms have been cleaned and all of the doors were still open just as I'd left them. Nothing seemed to be out of order or different from when I'd sprinted out the night before. Now let me go through and debunk a few things before you start to question what had happened. We have a cleaning crew that will come through on Thursdays However, they never turn off the lights, as I'm always still in the office when they clean. They always pop in and say hi and then go about their job. They also park sideways right outside the front door in a white van. It's pretty hard to miss. I asked every single one of the employees and owners. It's a small business of about 15 women, and no one said they had stopped back in the office that night. It was not a power surge or an outage, as we have lost power before, And since all of our electricity pulls from the same spot, all of the lights, computers and phones shut off. In my case, my office and the bathroom lights were still on as well as my computer. It was just the main set of light switches that were physically turned off. I honestly have no clue what was in the office that night, whether it was a murderer or something paranormal. But I refuse to work alone at night anymore. Even writing this up has me jumpy and shaky. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. I am open to explanations, actually I welcome them, because I would love for there to be a logical explanation for what happened to me. And story number two comes from Marguerite. When I was around 20, I was visiting my mum who was living in a tiny town in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. We'd stayed a few nights in a place called Arkarula, and we're driving the two or so hours back. Picture hot, dry, sandy terrain, occasional trees in a creek bed, and not much else. The area is very special. We stopped at a spot to have a look at the scenery. After a few minutes, I had what I can only describe as a vision. A swarm of angry snakes were approaching me on the ground. There were hundreds, and they were accompanied with a feeling of absolute evil. They did not want me there and they were letting me know. I was terrified. I knew they weren't real but it felt so real and I felt such terror I was actually standing on the step of the car door and yelling at my mum to get in and drive. Mum is a very spiritual person and had moved to the area as she believed she had a spiritual calling 
The next day, she said she believed the snakes were the spirits welcoming me to the land. Interestingly, the serpents have a significant place in the Aboriginal history of the area. But I was definitely not feeling welcomed and I have never had another vision like that. My grandmother lived in a big, old, creaky house near Oban in Scotland. Still around my 20s, I visited my grandmother, who was a pretty fierce lady. My grandfather had died years before, and he was a wonderful man. I was settled in the guest room one night, reading my book, when I noticed a movement, like someone walking across my peripheral vision. I looked to where it had been. There was a mirror on the wall across from me at the end of the bed. And in that mirror, you could see the reflection of part of another mirror on a wall and the doorway a few feet to my right. I settled back to my book, trying not to let whatever it was get to me. A few moments later, I saw the movement pass across again. I was seeing someone or something passing across the mirror or doorway to my right via the mirror at the other end of my bed. I felt completely panicked, but not really frightened. I just felt and hoped that it was my grandpa checking in, so I said, Hi Googie, it's nice to see you. I miss you and I love you. Thanks for visiting. And after that, there were no more shadows. And story number three comes from Michael. The previous story that I sent to you discussed spirit dreams and it centred around my uncle. At the end of this story, I had mentioned my youngest son, Angel. The first thing I should mention about Angel is that he is brilliant. He has a mind that won't quit or turn off. We have been told that he is on the autism spectrum. There are behavioural tweaks that we have had to make to communicate with him and help him in his way of thinking. For example, he walks almost always on his tippy toes, refuses to tie his shoes or make his bed because he doesn't see the need to as they will just be undone later and it's a waste of time. And cutting his hair is like cutting off fingers. That's not an exaggeration, he actually stated that to us. It just wouldn't hurt as bad. I only tell you this for context While it's something that we're aware of, we don't make a big deal of it, nor do we use it as an excuse for behaviour. Since the time he was born, he has always been very wary of people. He watches everyone around him, and will make a decision as to whether he likes them, trusts them, etc. If he doesn't like someone, he won't speak to them. They're not worthy of his time. This is a split-second decision, and there are few people that he trusts openly. To this day, I would wager my life on his good instinct. It has been spot on every time. I should probably preface all of this by saying that while Angel is still young, he is very mature. He does not act like his age, but in fact years older. My sister always laughs at the arguments that him and his brother get into. Things such as, you're not listening to me. And the response would be, I am and I'm responding, but you're not hearing my response. You are only hearing how you want to interpret my words. This was an actual argument between a four and a six-year-old. I bring this up because I feel that there are some who may say that allowing our child to explore may be construed as negligent. Please be sure that it's not. I would never put my child in harm's way. We are not leaving him alone in a proven haunted cemetery at 3am. We're always with him and this is outside of the witching hour. 
Since we can remember, Angel has always had a fantastic imagination. At two and three years old, he was always content to play by himself and make up songs and carried on full conversations in his room. This is especially odd, as Angel is the baby of the family, and as we all with younger siblings are aware, the younger siblings have a tendency for attention. When Angel was four or five, we went on vacation to an American indigenous tribal resort with hot springs. We stayed for a few days, and in the interest of education, decided to take our children to the local tribal museum. The museum is small, however has quite a bit of history. The time we went, we happened to be the only ones there. In one area of the museum, there is a section that houses intact wedding garments and cradle boards. We were looking at them and discussing how old these items were and how they were used. Angel stood looking through the glass at these things and suddenly started screaming and crying that we had to leave. I moved him to a larger, well-lit area and asked him what was going on. He calmed, slightly, but still crying and freaking out and was telling me that there were too many voices and he couldn't make sense of all of them. We decided to leave the building and he calmed down almost instantly upon leaving. He calmed down enough to communicate that he couldn't understand all of the voices because they weren't all in English, but there were so many voices and it scared him. We were the only ones that were in the museum that day, so we left it as it was, although our eyes were opened a bit. Upon returning home, we watched and spoke with him a bit. We came to realise the imaginations of my youngest child were not all imaginations. He was and had been keeping full conversations with people that we could not see. He never felt threatened and never expressed any concerns. As I've had experiences in my past as well as my husband, we chose not to make a big deal out of it. We believe, you see, that children are born with some sort of gift and as they age, they are told the mantras of it's not real or it's just your imagination, so often that they begin to believe it and it kills or blocks the innate abilities that they have. A couple of years later, we went to visit my husband's home in Spain. This was the first visit that myself and our children had ever made, and therefore we decided to play tourist. We visited the cathedral in Leon. At this time, Angel was eight. We discussed what he hears and he was aware that if he ever felt threatened, scared or uncomfortable to come and talk to us and we'd communicated about this quite a few times. We were in the cathedral, which is over a thousand years old and we were there for about two hours walking around and looking at the artwork and the tombs. After about two hours, Angel came quietly up to me and asked if we could leave. I was actually surprised that at eight he was able to endure the boredom And so in my sarcastic state, I asked him if he was super bored. His reply? No, actually I find this fascinating, but the screams are getting to be a bit much. Enough said. We left. He went and ate churros and chocolate at a nearby cafe and talked about his experience. He said it was faint, but it was definitely there. His guess was that either the cathedral was built on catacombs which is something we discussed as a possibility of him coming into contact with while in Spain, or the other option, which he felt was more likely, and that was that the cathedral was built on a Roman bathhouse or another site. And sure enough, we did some research, and the cathedral was built on a Roman bathhouse. 
The remainder of our trip in Spain, we successfully stayed away from any catacombs and spent time with family. We did, however, decide to take a small detour to Italy and spent a few days in Rome. Rome went pretty well without incident. There was a location where Angel refused to step foot in. He simply said it was evil and that we were not going there. See, while we have experiences and are believing sceptics, we're not stupid. We did decide that Pompeii was critical to go and see, as it has always been number one on my bucket list. We went to Pompeii, and I do have to say that upon arriving I was overwhelmed with emotion, and I'm not an emotional person, but I was completely overcome. Not any particular emotion that I can put my finger on, but tears pricked my eyes and there was just an intense rush of emotion upon walking into the first courtyard we walked into. We greatly enjoyed Pompeii. It went for the most part without incident, except for one area, where we were walking into a doorway in an area underground. A room, where some smaller artefacts were housed. We went through the doorway. My husband first, Malachi our eldest, Angel and myself. Angel attempted to cross the doorway and I physically saw him get shoved back by his shoulders. His shoulders went backwards he stumbled back two steps and stopped. He looked into the doorway, narrowed his eyes and said, no, not today, and went right on walking forward. I was immensely proud of him in that moment. There are some other areas that we have noticed that he is affected by. Certain cemeteries in our area he cannot be within visual distance of. There is one in particular that a friend of mine used to work at, We had a conversation about the cemetery. Please keep in mind this was an open conversation and he has been to other cemeteries and such due to family members passing in the past. He was curious as to which cemetery and I offered to drive through real quick so he could see. He agreed and I proceeded to drive through. The cemetery is pretty old. It was actually not the cemetery itself but the mausoleum area that has a small chapel attached. The basement houses what used to be a crematorium, probably about a century ago. He went white, with his eyes wide open. And as soon as I saw this, I drove off. When we got home, about an hour later, I finally got the first word out of him. He said it was the first time he didn't hear, but saw, and felt darkness. Bad, like there were eyes in every single one of the basement windows just waiting for us to stop so they could sink their teeth into us. Yeah, I've been there a number of times. As I said, a friend used to work there and I never went into the basement. It always gave me the heebie-jeebies. But Vampire Coven, which is where my mind went to, pretty scary. So we've never been back to that place. In fact, if we have to drive near it, we go way around it just out of curtsy to Angel. One of the most recent experiences was a trip we took to Belize this past January. We hiked to the top of a Mayan pyramid. Yes, we're talking a blood ritual site. Yes, it probably wasn't the best choice. I have a fear of heights, so I actually got dizzy and stopped one staircase to the very top, the antechambers. Angel, however, ran up excited prior to my husband and his brother. As my husband and his brother were about halfway up, I suddenly saw his face, very pale, peeking over the edge. I asked if he was okay, and his response was, Um, I'm coming down. 
Just to note, my husband and his older brother were at the top for a good 20 minutes with no issue. Angel came down and talked to me. He went into the antechamber and said it was like he was standing in the middle of a crowded restaurant with hundreds of people all talking at once, but you couldn't hear any one specific person, just voices over voices over voices. It wasn't threatening for him, just overwhelming. He made the decision to walk away and again I was proud of him for this. I know I talk about Angel a lot in this chapter. Malachi, my eldest, Angel's older brother, is what we believe to be a telekinetic empath. He has his own story, but it's difficult to explain. But to sum it up, he feels people and absorbs their emotions. We used to call him an emotional vampire until he went to middle school. Being around all of those hormones, he became angry constantly. He would flip from perfect to happy to angry in two seconds flat. Then it is as if his emotions explode and infect all of us until our house is one giant glowing ball of anger or whatever emotion is infecting him on that day. We had taken him into a store about a year ago and were approached by a woman who works on Reiki healing. She pinpointed him and what was going on perfectly. I mention this as while he does have his own abilities they do not necessarily fall into the RLGS spectrum so you may not hear as much about him. And story number four comes from Anonymous. I believe in aliens. I think it's really presumptuous to assume humans are the only living beings to have evolved in the universe. Arthur C. Clarke, a science fiction writer, once said, two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not. And both are equally terrifying. While both of these possibilities are terrifying, I believe us being alone is more unsettling. I might believe in aliens, but I always assume that alien abduction stories are false. My mum grew up in the same small town as I did. One night a year or so before she was married, so potentially in 1979 or 1980, her and my grandma were driving home from town to their farm. I remember mum telling me how scared they were when they saw a big bright light low in the sky following them on their way home. Mum never offered an explanation, but it stuck with her for a long time, considering I was born more than 10 years later. I'm assuming mum and grandma would have been familiar with the night sky having always lived on a farm away from light pollution, but maybe it was just a really bright star. Nowadays, I live and work in a nearby city, When I first started, one of my older colleagues used to mention being abducted by aliens. I thought it was a joke, but because I was so new and shy, I just didn't question it. One day, after I'd been working there for a while, he was talking about how he was abducted the previous night, and I cracked up laughing. He responded very seriously. Why do people always think that I'm joking when I talk about this? I was taken aback with how serious he had become. I honestly thought he was joking. A few months ago, I was on the reference inquiry desk with this colleague and I started asking him about his alien abductions. He said that he hadn't been abducted for over a year now, but when he was, he was always abducted from his bed. A big bright light would shine in his room and then suddenly he would be on a table with these weird creatures looking down on him. They had large foreheads and pointy chins with big round eyes. Whenever the alien saw that he was awake and watching them, they would freak out and cover his eyes with some unknown substance, kind of like spiderweb. 
He would then wake up in his bed like it was a bad dream. However, every time he had one of these dreams, which was about every six months for five or so years, he would have some sort of bruise or cut on him that he couldn't explain or some body part would be strained and achy. I told this colleague that the reason I was asking him was because weirdly, the other night I had a dream about being abducted by aliens. I was laying in bed when suddenly I was pulled out of it by a weird force. Then suddenly I was in this room. I can't remember too much of this dream now, but I remember knowing that I was in a spaceship of some sort, but I don't think I actually saw any aliens. The most vivid part of the dream was when I was laying in bed getting pulled out of it. My colleague gasped. You're abducted by aliens. He told me when I get home to look and see if I had any marks on my body. That night I did go home. And the thing is, I always have weird marks all over my body. For the past four years I've done pole dancing and depending on what move you are doing it can feel like the pole is giving you a burn or a donkey bite. Having lots of bruises and marks has kind of become the norm now so I don't even notice them and people who know me don't even comment on it. I did ask my partner who sleeps next to me if he heard me being abducted, but he didn't and he's a light sleeper. I, however, wouldn't have heard him if he was being abducted. I don't believe that I was taken hostage by aliens, but my colleague does. While I generally don't believe in paranormal experiences, I believe that the people who experience them truly believe they are real and isn't that the main thing? I have epilepsy and I smell things that don't exist and just because other people can't smell what I'm smelling doesn't make it any less real to me. My dream happened about four months ago and my colleague said he was abducted every six months. So if in two months I have another alien dream, then I might start questioning myself more. I would like to make it known that I am traumatised by that story. But while I was reading it, I'm sitting in the dark and the curtains are open. As in it's dark outside, I have the lights on and a giant moth flew into the window while I was reading that story. And I honestly, I nearly threw the microphone, everything out the window. And um, yeah, just traumatised just to let everybody know. I am afraid to check my emails to see if Anonymous had another alien dream. Don't want to check and see, so I'm just going to just gonna pretend that never happened. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send in your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. And on that note, we shall see you next week.